Hey guys, good afternoon, good evening, good morning, wherever, whenever you're joining us. Uh, we're glad you're here at our online service. And before I continue with the message, I just wanted to share a couple of things that are important for our church as we head into this new season. Um, I think it was in week two of our online services. We just started the stay at home order. And I shared my prayer for this, for this season is that God would really spare our valley uh, from the worst of this. And God really answered that prayer. And our valley has seen very little incidence of coronavirus, which is an awesome thing. And because of that, as I'm sure you know, our valley has had permission from the state to move more quickly into a new season with this thing. And that affects us as a church. And so we recorded a video just talking through some of those things. And if you missed that, I want to encourage you to check your email or go to our website or our social um, outlets and get caught up on our heart as we're entering this new season. You know, we've got some great plans around youth services and around Mother's Day and some plans in, in progress on what this next season looks like as we prayerfully enter this next season as a church. So I hope you'll check that out. Well, this week we are starting a new series in our ongoing journey through the book of Exodus, and we're heading into a new section of the book. And to kind of get us there, let me just ask you a question here. You could do a show of hands. Now, we won't do it here. There's only like three people here. Uh, but you could do this at home and no one else, you know, other than the person you're with, if you're with someone, uh, will know the truth, right? Have you ever rented a vehicle and then drove it maybe just a little more aggressively or you got the insurance policy and you drove it way more aggressively um, than you would your own vehicle. In fact, uh, maybe you said something like this. Have you ever said like, drive it like you stole it or ah, it's just a rental, right? I bet some of you or many of you have done that. Now imagine that and then contrast that with, with the scene of maybe you're taking out your brand new girlfriend and you're borrowing her dad's fancy expensive car for a date, right? And imagine how differently you're going to treat those two things, how much of a difference that makes. And so that's kind of what we're going to look at here today as we head into this passage of scripture. And as we get to it, I want to really specifically talk to Jesus followers. And if you're not a follower of Jesus yet, we're so glad you're joining us here today. And um, I'll give you a chance to apply some of this and respond a little bit later. But really, a lot of this is, is really going to um, be a challenge for those of us who have committed our life to following Jesus. And I'm going to give you the bottom line right up front, and then we're going to kind of dive into scripture and go through this. And that is this, as we head into this whole passage of uh, Exodus, what we're going to be reminded of is this, that first remember, we're going to be reminded to first remember that your life belongs to God. Because the truth is, and this is something you know about yourself, is you'll treat something very differently if the person who owns it is very important to you, won't, won't you? This is something that we know is true. We treat things differently if the person who owns them is important to us. And what we're going to see as we go through this passage is that if we can wrap our minds around this idea and really understand what the scripture says all throughout, 
that our lives belong to God. If we can remember that first, it will make a world of difference in the way we live our lives. And so as we head in to Exodus chapter, the end of Exodus chapter 12, we're going to pick up right where we left off last week. And just to sort of set the whole story up, if you remember, God promises Abraham that even though he's, his wife's barren, they don't have any kids, that they would have a son. And then through their ancestors, um, he would create, you know, uh, through their family would become a great nation. And through that nation, all the nations of the earth would be blessed and they would show his light, his glory, his splendor to all the nations of the earth. And so God takes this family that becomes about 70 people down into Egypt. And then in this setting, that's almost like an incubator for a nation over the next 400 years, they grow to become a great people. Uh, so large, actually, that the Egyptians begin to fear them and then begin to oppress them terribly and um, lead them actually into slavery. And that's where Exodus begins. And so the section we just concluded after the plagues and the final um, dramatic plague is that God is delivering his people. He's bringing them out of darkness. That was our last series title. And now he is going to be bringing them on a journey towards the promised land into what he has for them. And so if you have your Bibles, you can follow along. We're going to be in Exodus chapter 12. We're going to pick up where we left off last week. So it's the night of the Passover. And he says, I want you to remember this, the first Passover. They, they celebrate the first Passover meal. We talked about that a few weeks ago, if you want to go back and catch up. And so on this first night, they are delivered and they go out and the people of Egypt and Pharaoh says, all right, go worship your God. Pharaoh realizes he's not God. And they head out and um, God is delivering them out of Egypt and out of slavery. And that's where we pick up the text in chapter 12, verse 43. And this is interesting because the first thing God is going to do is to give them some guidelines around this whole thing they've just been through as they head out into the desert. And here's what it says. The, the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, these are the regulations for the Passover meal. Now, <laughs> these next few verses are some of those verses that you're just like, oh, we've got Red Sea coming up, some cool like dramatic stuff. Let's just flip forward about 20 verses. But there's some amazing stuff in here that I didn't want to miss. And so I, I want you to kind of lean into this for a minute. These, the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, these are the regulations for the Passover meal. No foreigner may eat it. This is only for my people. This is for people that are part of in covenant relationship with God. Any slave you have bought may eat it after you have circumcised him, but a temporary resident or a hired worker may not eat it. Now to us, 3,500 years later, uh, looking back on this culture, um, slavery was actually a common practice to people that actually sell themselves into slavery because of the financial situation they were in oftentimes. And actually as, as the next few books of the Bible come up, God is going to give them some incredibly freeing and incredibly forward thinking concepts in the time of how to treat people in this situation. Because um, a lot of times you read some of these things and you think, man, so patriarchal, so regressive, right? And so God is going to, um, <clears throat> actually, you're going to see how forward thinking this is as we go through the book and how just incredibly advanced and compassionate it is at this barbaric time in history. 
All right, so verse 46. So it's talking about the Passover dinner. It must be eaten inside the house. Take none of the meat outside the house. Do not break any of the bones. The whole community of Israel must celebrate it. A foreigner residing among you who wants to celebrate the Lord's Passover must have all the males in his household circumcised. And then he may take part like one born in the land. No uncircumcised male may eat it. The same law, check this out, the same law applies both to the native born and to the foreigner residing among you. And that's so cool because he says the same law. And this is so forward thinking 3,500 years ago that you would have a, a law like this that equally applies both to the foreigner. And God does all kinds of things like this as he gives instructions and really takes the slave nation and says, hey, remember how you were oppressed. Remember the things you went through and I want you to treat your fellow man completely differently from that from this point on, right? And so what I love about this section is that, that the foreigners are invited to participate, that they're welcomed in. But as you see here, there is a mark. And so the first thing I want to do, I've got three words for you here today. And the first thing I want to write down is the word celebrate. It's the word celebrate. And pardon my handwriting. Celebrate. And so he says, one of the first things I want you to do after I've taken you out of slavery is celebrate this Passover meal together. I want, before I ever get to giving you the laws, I want to remind you that before I gave you family rules and instructions, that I freed you, that I saved you, that I delivered you, that I brought you into relationship with me. But I want you to remember that that came at a great price. And so the Passover, they would, they would sacrifice or, 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 or kill a Passover lamb, a perfect blameless lamb, and then apply the blood to the sides and the top of the door and literally walk through or under the covering of the blood. And that was what would save them in the 10th and final plague. And he says, I want you to remember this every year. As you eat this, this meal together, as, as you eat this lamb, I want you to remember it and remember the, the price of sin. And so the celebration isn't just a, um, it's joyous because of understanding the, the joyous freedom of being saved and rescued, that God did this amazing thing through you, but it's also somber, it's also serious as you remember the great price that was paid. And there's so much richness in this. We talked about this a few weeks ago because in the New Testament, Jesus, as he uh, gathers his disciples around at the Last Supper, he said, this meal, I'm gonna completely reframe this whole thing around what I'm about ready to do as I, the perfect, spotless, blameless Lamb of God, give my life for you. I'm crucified and, and, and I raise again. And that, by trusting in that, that's the, that's the way you have life. That's the way you have salvation. That's the way that you are brought into covenant relationship with me. And here's the cool thing. You remember they said anyone, a foreigner can take part, but, but there's a mark. There's a physical mark that in, in that time was the thing that, that marked them as being part of God's people. It marked them as being part of the covenant family of God. And Jesus, 
as he calls us to follow him, salvation and eternal life is a free gift. But the truth is there's a mark. It will mark you. It will change your life. In fact, Jesus says, if anyone wants to come after me, let him take up his cross. He must deny himself. Let him take up his cross and follow me. And so the first thing we're reminded of, like we started out saying, is first th this celebration. And what we do when we celebrate the Lord's Supper together is we, we are reminded that we've been invited in. We receive this free gift of life. And then we are marked as his followers that we, we give our lives to him. We live in a response to what he did. In fact, there's all this symbolism, but in the New Testament, baptism becomes this mark, this symbol of the fact that you have come into a covenant relationship with, with Jesus, that you've become part of the family of God, that you're identifying with him. And, and so as you go under the water and then you come up, it's this, it's this picture of your life being crucified with him and then raised into new life. It's a mark that changes you. It's significant. It's something. In fact, if you've not been baptized, man, when we come back together and are able to all gather together here, we're going to have a baptism service. We, we had a bunch of people ready to be baptized before we had to put everything kind of on pause when it came to gathering. And so we're going to celebrate and we're going to gather. And I want you uh, to maybe uh, email us and say, hey, put me on that list. Contact us. Because if you have not taken this step of faith, man, this is something you need to do as a celebration of what Jesus did for you. Just like when we take the Lord's Supper, it's a celebration of what he did for us. Okay, chapter 13, verse one. And this, these passages go right together. And I know sometimes we jump through chapter breaks and it just hang with it because they go together. Those numbers weren't in the original. They were added later, like, you know, like not that long ago. Okay, chapter 13, verse one. The Lord said to Moses, consecrate to me, Every firstborn male, the first offspring of every womb among the Israelites belongs to me, whether human or animal. And so I know that's like, as you read this, and, and let me just say, this is a, a pretty dense passage of scripture. And so I know it, it, to track along with this, that's why I want, I want to just highlight three words out of this as we go along. And so that next word is this, consecrate. That's kind of a big word we don't really ever use in our context, in our culture today. But really what it means is this idea that you're taking what is ordinary and you're setting it apart for holy purposes. So taking something um, that might normally be used for something else and setting it aside for holy purposes that it would be used for God and dedicated to God. And so he says, well, I want the firstborn I want to be consecrated to me. I want you to first remember that you belong to me. See, this is what it's all about. And so by doing that, I want you to set aside or consecrate. I want you to take what's, what's ordinary and set it apart for holy purposes. And I want you to do that with the firstborn. And this is so significant because in the culture, the inheritance and the authority passed through the firstborn. The, and so he's saying the wealth of this nation, the name, the authority, the family name, I want you to take this, this thing and I want you to sit, set that aside to me. In fact, 
when uh, God's telling Pharaoh to let his people go, he said, my people Israel is my firstborn. Israel is my firstborn. They're set aside for holy purposes. In fact, just a little bit later in this, in this text of, of uh, Exodus, a little ways down the road, we're going to see this concept that God's call to the people of Israel, to his people, was to be a nation of priests, to be set apart as a nation of priests. Priests are people that go in between, in the Old Testament, in between God and people. In fact, you when you read the Old Testament, and I are called, it's called the priesthood of all believers. That's why we have this, this phrase, not just pastors around here. And what that means is every follower of Jesus is called to, to be a, represent, a representative and to called to, uh, to represent God to other people, to share God, to share his light, his glory, to take the message of Jesus to others. Not just pastors, it's for all of us. And this nation is called to that. They're called to be set apart as a nation of priests. And so he says, first, I want you to celebrate and remember what I did for you. And then I want, I want you to consecrate and set aside the firstborn so that you remember, first, remember, before we get to this other stuff, I want you to first remember that your life belongs to God. And in the New Testament, Paul echoes this because what Jesus did when he died on the cross and when we embrace that it is and when we're, we go through the waters of baptism it's the symbol that our lives belong to him first Corinthians 6 it's, it says this do you not know that your bodies are a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you whom you have received from God listen you are not your own this is a hard concept for us in America but Jesus would remind us, the Holy Spirit would remind us through the apostle, you are not your own. You were bought with a price. There was a sacrifice. There was an innocent, blameless lamb, the lamb of God. That died so that you could be part. You are not your own. You were bought at a price. And he says, therefore, honor God with your bodies. And so here's how this works itself out in our lives is that when, when Jesus said, forgive others, that's not just an optional thing, right? Because if you shift your thinking over to, oh, my life's my own versus my life belongs to someone I have awe and reverence and respect for. All of a sudden you're like, I don't, I don't really need to do that. I don't really want to do that. In fact, it's my right to be bitter. It's my right to hang on to anger. It's my right because they did this. Now, you don't know their heart, but you think it's my right, right? So when it comes to forgiveness, the question is, are you going to forgive? And for a follower of Jesus, because the truth is that you are not your own, you are bought with a price, it completely changes the conversation. How you treat others around you and your relationships around you. Um, they belong. They're not yours to use however you want. Just there to serve you. To make your life easier and better. You begin to view others as children of, of the king who, who are precious to him. You're, you're bought with a price. Your life 
is not your own. When, when he says, um, when, when it says in scripture, hey, I want you to love husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. And I don't feel like doing that. But, but if you're a follower of Jesus, you realize my life is not my own, right? When you, when you handle your, your purity and your, and your moral life, when it comes to dating relationships or relationships in general or your life, how do you handle that? It changes the equation when you realize my life is not my own. I've been bought with a price. It's not just mine to do whatever I want with. It's not a rental to drive it like you stole it. My, their, their life isn't something I get to just trod on because they belong to God. And see, here's the thing. We don't, we don't always do this real well, right? And that's because uh, we have a, a sin nature. And so God is, is drawing us. It's this constant process of being drawn into deeper relationship with him. And hopefully our lives begin to look more and more like him as we realize our lives are not our own. And as we allow the Holy Spirit to move in our lives and we move closer to him, right? But it changes the equation when Jesus says, um, I, I want you to have a different relationship with your stuff with your money, with your finances. I want, I want you to have a different understanding that, that the fact, the reason we're generous is because we understand that we don't own this, that we're just entrusted, that we steward it, right? But it belongs to God, everything we have. And so we need, when he asks us to consecrate, give first, right? There's this idea. In fact, it comes up uh, a little later, first fruits. There's the idea, first you need to remember that your life is not your own, that your stuff is not your own. It belongs to God. It affects the way we live as followers of Jesus. And so Moses goes on to share what, what God said in verse three. Then Moses said to the people, commemorate this day, the day you came out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery, because the Lord brought you out of it with a mighty hand. Eat nothing containing yeast. Today in the month of Aviv, you are leaving. When the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Hivites, and Jebusites, the land you swore to your ancestors to give you a land flowing with milk and honey, you are to observe this ceremony in this month. For seven days, eat bread made without yeast, and on the seventh day, hold a festival to the Lord. Eat unleavened bread during those seven days. Nothing with yeast in it is to be seen among you, nor shall any yeast be seen anywhere within your borders. On that day, tell your son, I do this because of what the Lord did for me when I came out of Egypt. This observance will be for you like a sign on your hand and a reminder on your forehead that this law of the Lord is to be on your lips. For the Lord brought you out of Egypt with his mighty hand. You must keep this ordinance at the appointed time year after year. And so they are called the third word. And it just happens to start with C. I bet you're shocked, right? The third word comes out of there. And that is this commemorate. We'll see if I can spell it right. Commemorate. And he says, I want you to remember, see the idea of remembering first. I want you to commemorate 
what happened here. And so how are we going to do that? And one of the ways, you know, they celebrate the Passover feast, but the whole week leading up to that time, he says, I, I want you to get rid of all the yeast and see, the yeast wasn't just something that, you know, they didn't have, the bread didn't have time to rise. But as, as the, the nation of Israel progresses, it becomes part of this idea, you know, when you put yeast and bake your bread and that dough rises, it's, it's actually a process of decomposition, right? And so yeast becomes a symbol of sin and of corruption. And so he says, I want you to get rid of all this. I want you to get rid of this. And so how this would work itself out is, um, you know, your mama makes some good rolls and you come in for dinner one night and it's like, mama, where's the rolls? What's this like hard cracker kind of thing? Where's my favorite rolls? And dad says, no, no, not this week. No rolls for you. No rolls for you this week. Because this week we, we are reminded this week, we eat this in order, we set up this rhythm in order to commemorate what God did for us, that we would be reminded of the incredible way God rescued us, saved us, redeemed us. And so we're going to deprive ourselves of what we really like during this week, our favorite thing. And in this culture, bread was like the staple, right? This was the big thing. And for this week, we're going to do away with that in order to remember what God did for us. And this idea of commemorating, it's, it's so important because in the rhythm of life, like one of the rhythms, one of the things we do to commemorate, well, we take the Lord's Supper uh, corporately together, right? That's a, a commemoration of what God did for us. Um, another way, just the weekly routine of church life of setting aside a time when you come together to remember who God is and to realign your life with him. It's a powerful thing. And I know we're in a season where that feels completely different. Lord willing, we're coming out of that season quickly and then we're going to be in a different place. And, and for some, just getting into that rhythm, maybe you've never been in that rhythm, where church is part of your weekly um, rhythm, where it's not just an optional thing you do occasionally. And it's because come on, it, it, you know, and I look at my life in past and, and I bet you've had this experience too, is yes, you can develop a great relationship with God and not be at church, but I bet that's not your story, is it? Your story is probably for a season, you, you quit, you stopped going and before you know it, your life started going away from God. You, you started living your life like you were the owner of it, not just the manager of it. And so rhythm, the rhythm of worshiping together, like it says in Hebrews, hey, don't neglect gathering together. And part of that is so we can encourage each other in our walks with Jesus to keep pursuing him. And that's an important part of that, right? So we commemorate that. We do holidays. Um, having a time you set aside is part of that as well. So this goes on in verse 11. And it says this, after the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites and gives it to you, as he promised on oath to you and your ancestors, he's going to pull this off. You are to give over to the Lord the first offspring of every womb. Okay, he's, he's going back. He's touching on the consecrating side of things here. You're to give over to the Lord the first offspring of every womb. All the firstborn males of your livestock belong to the Lord. Redeem with a lamb every firstborn donkey. But if you do not redeem it, break its neck. Redeem every firstborn of your sons. And so he's saying this is a big deal. 
And so every firstborn belongs to me and you're going to make a sacrifice of, of, of a lamb and redeeming. This is a word that you hear in church and really in this day and age, not much elsewhere. But it's the idea of purchasing back something that has maybe been sold into slavery, right? And you purchase that thing back. You, if you're a follower of Jesus and you put your faith and trust in him, you've been redeemed. You've been rescued. And so God sets up this thing to commemorate. He says, I want you to consecrate or set this aside. And then here's the thing. Uh, they had a, a, a kind of a small offering that even poor people could afford. And they would give that to redeem back their firstborn son. And it's this reminder, your life's not your own. You've been set apart as a people. You've been set apart. You're called to be different. You're called to be unique. You're called to share my, 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 the beauty of God with the world. And it's this ongoing re reminder of that in their life. Verse 14. In the days to come, when your son asks you, what does this mean? See, he wants to make sure this gets, this gets passed on to generations. This is why we have the Home Point Center. One of the reasons is to make sure that, that you, your faith is passed on to generations. And, and, and some of these things, these commemorating, these, these things we do to commemorate are part of that process that you can have a, things in place with your family and your kids that, that shows them that you have spiritual conversations about what God has done in your lives and the greatness of God in those moments help you. So after um, 14, in the days to come, when your son asked you, what does this mean? Say to him, with a mighty hand, the Lord brought us out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. When Pharaoh stubbornly refused to let us go, the Lord killed the firstborn of both the people and the animals in Egypt. This is why I sacrifice to the Lord, the first male offspring of every womb and redeem each of my firstborn sons. And it will be like a sign on your hand and a symbol on your forehead that the Lord brought us out of Egypt with his mighty hand. And so it's this constant reminder of the cost of the price that was paid for them, of how serious this is, of the fact that they were redeemed and brought out of slavery, the fact that God moved powerfully on their behalf, on the fact that, that oppression has a tragic end that sin destroys lives. And he says, I want you to have this reminder. I want you to commemorate this and I want you to consecrate and set this apart. And then we're gonna celebrate and we're gonna have joy that we've been redeemed and set free and saved. But we're gonna remember the incredible price that was paid for it. I want you to remember you are not your own. You were bought at a price. I want you to first remember, you know, before we, before we get to the rest of the stuff, before we get to all the family rules and guidelines, first, you, you got to remember, if you don't remember this, uh, you won't get the rest of it. First, remember that your life belongs to God, that your salvation belongs to him. It's from him. And so let me just ask you, what areas of your life are you acting like your life is yours and not his? What about your time? What does your time look like? What about your stuff, right? 
What about your stuff? And I know it's, it's, a, it's a very different season right now than we've ever been in, right? But it's good times to, to ask ourselves those questions. What about your relationships? How might your relationships be different? How might you operate differently in your relationships if you really believe that, that your life first, if you remember that your life belonged to God, right? And then commemorate. Maybe as we close, there's things you need to put in place. Maybe it's setting aside some time. You know, when you don't set aside time for something, it, it almost never happens, does it? And some of you, maybe you need to set aside some time to, to move into a deeper relationship with God, to, to encounter him in prayer and in scripture. What areas of your life are you acting like life is yours? I just encourage you to, to think about that this, this week. And I would like to encourage you also to do something either by yourself, take a moment with God after this, after this service. And I'd like you to find some, some elements and, and take communion and use it as a time to celebrate and remember the weight of what he did for you and the fact that your life is not your own. Maybe gather your family together and take a moment and as a way to commemorate what he's done. Let's celebrate the Lord's Supper. And for some of you, I, I know in this season, there's a lot, of, a lot of you that are tuning in that maybe you tuned God and church and the Bible out for a long time, or maybe this is the first time you're ever really considering these things. And, and, the, and the, the way I want to close is by giving you an opportunity to respond. You see, um, just like we started out saying the Passover, everyone was invited. It was a free gift. It, you know, everyone was invited to be part, but it, it will mark you. It'll make a mark on your life. And salvation is a free gift. It's something God offers to you to become part of his family. And yet there's an aspect that he gives that to us and we respond by giving our lives back to him. There's a cost that it will mark, it will change your life. And if you're ready to respond to him today and put your faith and trust in him and say, I want to follow you, Jesus, I want to give you an opportunity to do that right now. You can just pray a prayer like this after me. Lord Jesus, I know I've sinned. I, I can't make it to God on my own. I believe you're the son of God that you died and rose again. I put my faith and trust in what you did for me when you died and rose again. I ask you to welcome me into your family and give me new life in you. I want to live my life for you. In Jesus' name. And Lord, for the rest of my friends, I just ask this week that you would encourage them, but you would challenge them to look at the areas in their life that they're living like life is all about them. That they've maybe begun to think that, that they're the owner. When instead of viewing and looking at their life as something that is owned by someone they have so much honor and respect for. And that they would live their lives accordingly. Pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.
Thanks for being with us today, you guys. Man, we love you and we cannot wait for all of us to be together again. And so please stay up to date. I know we've said it a couple times, but we really want you to know when things change. And so you can go to our website and click on the red banner at the top to stay up to date and make sure that we have your information for our email blasts or that you're following us on Facebook. You can also give online and we're so thankful for your generosity. Now, you guys have a great week. We'll talk to you later.